Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, football fans, and welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This will be the fifth edition of what we are calling Joe Talk, and it's two Joes talking the American Athletic Conference, and there is plenty to talk about after week one. It was a wild first week of college football all around the landscape, but before we dive into that, let me bring on my co-host for the show. Joey Brovac, say what's up, my friend. What's going on? we got a lot to talk about, and, and I'm not sure if uh, we're going to finish this in an hour or not. Yeah, there's plenty of football to talk about. It's good. We finally have, like we talked about last week, we finally have games to talk about. Like you said, there is plenty to talk about. Finished the last episode kind of predicting how many conference wins this this group would get, and we said eight. That's exactly what the number was. It was eight. So what we're going to do here is we're going to basically go through every matchup for every AAC team, but we're going to go in order of our power rankings. That way we can try to make this a little bit shorter. Otherwise, like Joey said, we're going to be here forever. But so let's get it kicked off. We still have USF at number one. But you said it earlier in the year. It's tough for a G5 team to live up to that billing of running right through everybody and becoming that powerhouse and maybe being that team to represent the the group of five. But it's looking like we might have overhyped this team. Um, tell me what you thought about the Bulls matchup this week. I was thoroughly disappointed, if, if I'm being completely honest. Um, it, it's been hard to watch them in the first half, which I'm very surprised, especially with Quinton Flowers. I mean, I expected some growing pains because they have new weapons on offense and they're trying to figure out their defense, it looks like, but they're down 10-7 to against Honeybrook, and even the week before against San Jose State when they're down 16-zip, it's just this team gets on to slow starts and they kind of have to dig themselves out of a hole. And it's Hard. I mean, they still deserve to be number one. It's not going to change after one week, but they need to figure something out or they're going to be moving far down. Yeah, I actually didn't get a chance to watch the game, and, and you were the one that was giving me the updates for it, and I couldn't believe it. I was. I literally told a friend of mine who, who is a college football fan and likes any college football, so he knows that I'm doing a lot of this coverage. And when I told him the same thing, I was like, USF is losing at the half. He was like, you got to be kidding me. Stony Brook? They turned it on in the second half. I have a little note here that's actually the 19th straight game where they scored 30 points. So they're still scoring a ton of points, but that's a Stony Brook team that, you know, we both felt that 
UF was going to put a 50 spot on. Yeah, and I mean, they only put up seven points in the first half, and this is supposed to be a team that's, like you mentioned, high scoring and should be putting up points, but it's, it looks like they're not figuring things out in the first half. Eventually, that's going to come back to bite them. Now, the team that we have in the two spot is scoring a lot of points, at least in their opener against FIU, and that is the UCF Knights. They went on a 40-point a run in the second and third quarter to spoil Bush Davis's return to the sidelines. Uh, Mackenzie Milton had a had a fantastic game to start the season. Tell me a little bit about what you saw with the Knights in their opening matchup, and then a little bit later we're going to dive into uh, the situation that's at hand for them with the storm on the way. Yeah, I, I mentioned at one point the game was 10 to 10, which was closer than I anticipated. But then you look at the final score and you realize, holy crap, this, these two teams are not not even close. And Milton, yeah, did have a good game, and we've been talking all year that in order for them to have a successful season, that the Milton's going to have to take that next step, and it looks like he's off to a good start. Did throw a pick in the second half. That was ill-advised, but, you know, that's going to come with the growing and taking that step. Uh, so it's good to see that he got off to a good start, and it's going to be scary to see where the offense can go. Yeah, I mean, it was an FIU team that some people may have felt that Butch Davis was going to be able to do something with that team, but UCF was the more talented team, and it showed pretty quickly, especially, like I said earlier, in the second and third quarters. I mean, they just blew them out of the water at that point. But to dive into the next one, we're going to keep going through it. At number three, we have Memphis, who didn't really blow out. Louisiana Monroe, like a lot of people thought they might. I believe it was a 25-point spread, and they ended up only getting an eight-point win. But as somebody noted earlier, the weather did play a factor because Riley Ferguson only completed 10 passes for 97 yards, and Memphis got the job done on the ground in that one. Yeah, and I think that was one thing that people wanted to know this year was can the running game keep up with Ferguson and the passing game? And like you said, the conditions were, were less than ideal, but they did manage to dominate in the run game. It sounds like in the second half they were putting in the second stringers to see if they could just get to the end, and Louisiana Monroe made it interesting at the end. I don't think I was ever worried that the game was in trouble, but it, it was a sloppy game towards the end, and I think... Now that it's over, we can just move on from the bad weather game, and that makes this next week's matchup, which we'll talk about later, a lot more interesting. Yeah, it's looking like there could be weather being a factor for them once again this week. Um, but before we jump on to the next team, just wanted to note that Tony Pollard, nine-yard kick return, it was the third of his career, which was a school record to kick off the second half. That's a guy we talked about earlier in the season as a kind of someone to watch out for in this conference uh, in the return game. But next we're going to move on to the area that was devastated by Hurricane Harvey, and that is the Houston team. You know, they weren't in action this past week, but as I noted out on the um, power rankings, seeing that video of the team looking fearful at a time where you expect people to be miserable, I thought was one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. They looked like they wanted to be there at a time when, 
I mean, really, you could be, you know, you could be pouting and being down, but they were really into uh, helping out the community, which was awesome to see. Yeah, I think that's the the nice thing about sports is that these these players are in a position where they are seen by a ton of people and they have the power to influence people in a positive way. And the situation down there obviously is very negative and there's a lot of destruction and recovery that needs to happen. But if if you can get 100 guys on a team to make a positive spin on it, uh, I think that that will go a long way in helping people kind of pick themselves up and recover from, from this. Um, but you could tell, yeah, they, they, they weren't ready to play last week, and now they're trying to make the most of what's been a terrible situation. Yeah, our hearts go out to the people of Houston in a very terrible situation. And hopefully the people of Florida are well aware of what just happened there and get out of Dodge before that gets to that area over there. To continue on here, we're going to go with the number five team on our list, and that's the SMU Mustangs. They were coming off a pretty dominant win over Stephen F. Austin. It was a 58-14 win, winning 38-7 to at the half. I mean, it was honestly a game that you expected SMU to uh just take them to the yard, basically, and they and that's what they did. Yeah, and I, I was surprised to see their defense actually kind of step a little bit and get only granted was Stephen F. Austin, but only giving up 14 points is definitely something different than what we saw last year. Uh, Jordan Wyatt had two touchdowns by himself, which was was nice to see. It's nice to see that the the defense is picking up the slack. I think he was player of the week or something like that too, wasn't he? He, he, yeah, because he had an interception return and a fumble recovery. So, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, and definitely well-deserved. Um, obviously, the question we've talked about with them is, can their defense support their offense? And the offense did just enough to keep the blowout going. And the one thing that they were surprised by was the defense. Yeah, I can't say I don't agree with you there. It was definitely a defensive performance that – is going to be key for them to actually make this transition into the higher echelon of teams in this conference. You know, they are battling on the harder side of the conference. We know that, but it's good to see that defense doing its part because the offense we feel should be able to do its business. So as long as they can keep with it, they should do well this season. Next at number six is our highest riser for this week and that is the Navy Midshipmen, and I think we're both guilty of underestimating them going into this year. They absolutely blew the lane train and FAU out of the water to start the season. I mean, I mean, we kind of said that is a tough game for uh, Lane Kiffin to start the year with going against that triple option, but Navy is a team that we've got to stop underestimating them. Like I said, that triple option seems to work. It doesn't matter who is back there. And Zach Abbey definitely had a better game than I was anticipating. I mean, let's be honest, it's it's still FAU. They're not they're not just gonna magically get better just because Wayne Kiffin's there and they're getting all these recruits. Like there's it still takes time. And yeah, they might be better this year, but Navy and FAU should never be in the same same conversation, at least not for now, I should say. Um so I'm not surprised that they 
blew them out. Uh, like you said, we did, we did underestimate how good this team still is. Now it did take Tulsa losing and Temple losing as well for them to jump, but, I mean, they did jump. Um, it was impressive. I think Abby had 200 yards rushing, so uh, hopefully he can keep that up. But, uh, yeah, I think it's time that we just stop underestimating this team and, and doubting them. Yeah, they actually went down 10-7. to But you actually with a 95-yard touchdown pass. So you're kind of thinking, okay, you know, how's this game going to go? And then on five of the next Navy possessions, they score a touchdown, and that's when they really took over the game. But an interesting note there is is that game took almost six hours to finish. It it finished at 1.47 in the morning uh, Eastern time because of three lightning delays. But, yeah, you brought up Zach Abbey, 235 yards and the two TDs. It'll be interesting to see if he can keep doing that once they go against their competition. Yeah, I just I didn't understand the point of ending the game that was over. Um, I get you. There's this saying that you, it's not over until it's over, but they're, they're, that game was over, I and mean, it was just a waste for the players and the coaches to, to try and finish the game out. I mean, maybe there's some other reason, but I didn't I didn't see see the point of doing that. And then yeah, like you said. Abby had a strong performance in the first game, but the real question and a big reason why I'm still hesitant to jump on this team's, I guess, bandwagon is is they have to play better competition. And if Abby can play well against the better competition, then maybe I'll be a believer. Yeah, time will tell. We will uh, we'll see them in action this week against another triple option team that we'll be talking about a little bit. But you kind of brought up the one of the next two teams, actually the two next teams we're going to talk about, and that's number seven will be Tulsa, who fell behind 21 nothing early to Oklahoma State, and they tried to make the game, but they really could not. We talked about it last week. Oklahoma State is going to have one of the better offenses in the country, and they kind of proved it in this matchup. Yeah, like you said, they fell behind 21 zip, and I thought that was it was just going to be a blow off from there. But in the second quarter, they did at least try to make it a game. They were down 28-14, and they had plenty of opportunities to make it a one-score game, keep things interesting. But Washington State's just way too talented for for this game to even be close. Um, not really surprised that the score. Um, I'm. It didn't really shock me that that was the final, but uh, I think the one thing that we don't really know is what what does this Tulsa team look like? Just because this is a blow, and that was going to be that was anticipated. So I'm curious to see what they look like against some competition that's closer to their own. Yeah, you just said it. I mean, we we expected this to be kind of a blowout because of the fact that Oklahoma State's team is so strong coming into the year. But I, something I thought it was a little bit interesting was the fact that the Angelo Brewer, who we talked about coming into the year, they were down for the majority of the game, and he still logged 22 carries, but only picked up 33 yards behind an offensive line that you know, we were both pretty hype about heading into the year. So that's something they're going to need to fix because, let's be honest, all those Big 12 defenses are not that strong. Yeah, and I mean, maybe that's that's a sign of something for – Oklahoma State this year. I don't think it is, but you know, maybe maybe we learned something from from that performance. 
yeah, like you said, I was disappointed in Brewer, but they had another back in Corey Taylor who had 111 yards on 20 carries, who did well. So I think I think they're they're fine where they are right now. Uh, the passing game definitely needs to get better. Chad President only had 178 yards. So that's going to be a concern until weapons can emerge. So the run game still has to be strong until that happens. Now we're going to dive into our number eight team, which we talked about last week. I got fired up when the Notre Dame blog at SB Nation said that Temple was going to be a cupcake. And it ended up being a cupcake. Notre Dame blew them out 49-16. to 16. They had three guys rush for over 100 yards. One good thing, I guess, you can say for Temple is they figured out who their quarterback is. It's Logan Marchie. Had an okay game, I guess. Uh, but at least they have that going for them. To start. They know who there's going to be their guy uh, heading into the rest of the season. Yeah, and Marchie didn't turn over the ball, so that's that's a good sign for – I mean, for your first game, that's, that's really a, what a coach wants you to do is – if you don't turn over the ball, you're going to have a good chance of winning. And granted, that wasn't the case here, but at least he didn't give the ball to the other team. I think the score was a little bit uh, misleading. There were times where Temple had opportunities to make the game close and even make it a one-score game, but the offense kind of sputtered and they missed a couple kicks, I believe. Or no, they missed, they missed one field goal that would have made things a little bit closer and then Notre Dame pulled away after that. Um, the biggest thing for Temple is going to be their offense and defensive lines. They just got manhandled by, by Notre Dame and that was a big concern for me and when your two-star safeties who are very good in Delvin Randall and Sean Chandler, if they're making all your tackles, your team's not going to have very much success. Yeah, you just brought up those safeties. That's the first thing I noticed in the stat line, too, that their their names were the first two to pop up, and that's always not a good thing when the two guys in the back end are leading your team in tackles. Um, you brought up also those offensive and defensive lines. Temple did have a lot of turnover in those two areas. And there was Deion Dawkins was drafted in on one side, and you had Son Reddick drafted on the other, two guys that are be hard to fill bunch of guys left because of the uh, graduation as well so they're really trying to figure out who's going to be those guys for the long haul this year and we also said I mean Notre Dame's strength are those two positions too so it really was a mismatch for Temple in the trenches yeah for sure and then they definitely had trouble bringing Josh Adams down the Notre Dame back who's, who's huge that obviously didn't help so not only are they getting handled up front, but then you got to tackle back, who's very difficult to bring down, and then once you finally figure that out, then you have to deal with with the passing game as well, and it just didn't add up well for, for the Owls. Yeah, Adams had 124 yards in the first quarter. That's never done, and that, that touchdown was actually the quickest TD to open the season for the Irish since 63. So it was... Uh, Ugly early for Temple. I mean, they, you like you said, they, they stuck around for a little bit, but you wanted them to be fighting a little bit more. But I guess it's also kind of expected when you have so many firsts. We talked about the first 
first start for Marchie, first game for Jeff Collins. So there's a lot of growing pains before they take off and be maybe a contender in this conference. But next up on the list is number nine is Cincinnati, which is a team who actually was down 20 to – oops, I'm looking at my wrong notes here. Wrong team. That's the UConn team that we will eventually get on that was absolutely terrible as well. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So Cincinnati was actually outgained by Austin Pay in this game on a scale of 313 to 249. Hayden Moore did throw three TD passes. Mike Boone, somebody we talked about, did have over 100 yards. But at one point, the, governor, the governors did cut the game to six at the very end before since he could pull it off. Um, not really – we honestly expected better from Luke Fickle's first game, so – Tell me what you saw from the Bearcats in this or in their opener. I think we got to just give Fickle some time. Uh, I I know we both expected him to do better in his his first game, but you're changing a culture at a school. It's difficult to get people on the same page. Yeah, it was closer than I think a lot of people expected, but when you're going through so much turnover and you're changing how your kids think and how you want them to be. Playing football kind of gets put on the back burner a little bit. They got the win. was nice. Um, I mean, Moore didn't turn, turn the ball over, which is going to be a big key for them this year. Boone, like you said, had 100 yards, which is another player that needs to do well. So I think... For now, it's, they think they're just happy that they got through with the win a little closer than they wanted it to be, but they're 1-0, and that's really all that matters right now. Yeah, I mean, they aren't like some of the other teams that got upset, and we will dive into one of those shortly. Uh, we have at number 10, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, with the way we saw Tulane's triple option look under Jonathan Banks, Maybe we should have put them in number nine just because I really wasn't impressed with how Cincinnati played because Tulane actually beat a pretty good Grambling State team. Um, They only hit the 43-point mark one time last year. Tell me what you thought about the Green Wave and their home opener. Yeah, they definitely could have been at nine. Um, It's kind of hard when it's first week. You don't want to overreact to one week, obviously, but we'll find them time. Uh, how good these teams are. I definitely think now Tulane and then these next two teams are miles apart, and uh, it's Tulane's on the good side of that. You mentioned Jonathan Banks. It, it, it's nice to see the offense actually have um, some firepower, and that was something we didn't see last year. They put up 43 points against, like you said, a good Grambling State team, and they only did that once last season. So they're off to a good start, and they definitely can move up in the rankings if they continue this. You have four TDs for Banks, who was a transfer, uh, and really looked to run that offense well. So maybe some exciting things are ahead for the, the team that hails from New Orleans. And then now we'll dive into the two bottom teams who, one, gave a serious scare over a loss, that was, and we'll start with them, and that's the Huskies. They were down 20-7 to in the second half, and it was really a quarterback change that, that sparked their, their rally. 
And they do have a little bit of concern because Junior Joseph left left the game with an injury and his status is still kind of unknown. Yeah, I oh man, this is this is rough. They're they're down twenty to seven through nearly three quarters. They scored at the end of the third quarter to make it twenty to fourteen, but I I literally thought they weren't going to come back and that Holy Cross was just going to pull away. But I mean, I guess we'll give them some credit. They did they did fight back and they found a way to win. Um, granted, it's not great when that comes against an FCS team that you should handle. Um, the injury to Joseph definitely hurts, um, but they do have other pieces on defense, so at least they have a little bit of depth that can hopefully cover him in the time being. Um, but, yeah, just just brutal to watch and definitely a disappointing first game. Yeah, UConn is a uh, going to be hard to watch all season long. And I really don't have much more to say about them. I mean, they really are going to be one of those teams that offensively is going to be very inept this season. And, and to be honest, I was really kind of surprised they were able to pull off that, that comeback. But now let's dive into the number 12 team, and that is the James Madison Dukes. Sorry, I meant the East Carolina Pirates, but James Madison laid the wood with them. Honestly, I mean, we both predicted that James Madison would get the win. I don't think either one of us saw it being a 20-point win. Yeah, I mean, I thought it would be once a game, possibly maybe, maybe two scores. And then I saw this game, and I just shook my head. I mean, I get I get it. James Madison is defending FCS champions. It's not some scrub FCS team, but it's still FCS. And if... The one thing, if this Power Six conference is going to come to fruition, then teams like ECU and UConn, the teams that are the depth of the conference, need to start playing better. And I think that's the only thing that disappoints me is that when you're trying to make something work and the bottom teams aren't doing their part really, that's a little bit disappointing. And honestly, this was just super embarrassing. Agreed. You, you know, you brought it up. And these bottom two teams, if you're going to really fill out this conference, they've really got to step it up. Now, UConn kind of gets the benefit of the doubt. They might be crap in football, but they have a solid basketball program. So that, I guess, kind of weighs it out a little bit. But you're not getting that from ECU whatsoever. They went in this game. JMU had more rushing yards than ECU had total yards. Okay, four turnovers, two quarterbacks all time. It was just a brutal game for the Pirates, and it doesn't look like things are going to get any better soon. So before we jump into what's ahead for the AAC, let me just go through this list one more time. That was USF at one, UCF at two, Memphis at three. Number four is Houston. We have SMU Mustangs at number five, Navy at six. Tulsa is number 7, Temple at 8, Cincy 9, Tulane 10, UConn 11, and JMU at 12. Now, let's dive into what's ahead, and that's some actually some good AAC matchups. We have the one, which is probably going to be the game of the week. It was going to be the game of the week anyways, seeing as how it was probably the 
two of the stronger teams in the conference, and that is Memphis versus UCF. But now it's also taking on more of a uh, a bigger implications just because of the fact of Irma is on her way to Florida, so the game has been moved to 6.30 p.m. on Friday night. Um, there's still no word on what on the TV coverage for this game is originally scheduled for ESPN News, so we'll see how that what happens with that. Of course, we'll let you know once we know. But looking ahead at this game, this will be two of the better offenses. Tell me what you think you're going to see in this one. As of today, when I saw it earlier, it had the Knights as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Who do you got in this one? Well, I think I just found that the game will still be televised on ESPN News. Um, so that's that's something I guess we can, we can say. Um, I think it depends on the weather. Uh, if it's if it's nice weather, then I'm really excited to watch this game. I think with the two offenses that these teams have, they're going to put up a ton of points, and it's going to be a lot of back and forth. And if not, then it's going to be a struggle, and it's which offense can probably run the ball better. Uh, either way, I th- I, I'm excited for this matchup, and it's kind of weird that it's a week two matchup. You don't kind of expect these types of bouts early in the season, but the way that their schedules are set up, it happens to work out this way. Yeah, it's really going to be a early tell of how both of these teams are going to fare in the conference. Um, there are two teams that are looking to win their respective sides. Uh, UCF, we've argued, is probably the biggest challenger to South Florida. And then we have, for the most part, have said that Memphis has been our favorite to win the West. So this will be the first game where we're really going to see just how good these offenses are. And then also on, on the other side, we're going to really find out just how good these defenses are because we know we got two offenses that are going to be able to score points. But for a lot of these teams in the AAC, it's what you can play defense to stop all these high-powered offenses. Yeah, and I think both teams, I don't think we really saw who they really were. Memphis, like we said earlier, struggled with UL Monroe, but that had really more to do with the weather than anything. So I don't think we've really seen what their offense can do. And they have some injuries on defense, so we still haven't seen what their defense can do either. And UCF played FIU, who we're not really high on. And so... Was that just they played a bad team? Um, Milton obviously had a good game, but was that more due to playing that porous defense, or is it is he really that good? And I think we'll at least get that question answered on Friday. Originally, just every AAC team was going to play on Saturday, and granted, this situation at hand is not uh, a great one, but it's I'm kind of excited to be able to have the opportunity to watch them on that night by themselves. So it'll be a good matchup to see these two teams go against each other. Um, just to dive into to the other AAC games, there's going to be USF versus UConn at noon on ESPN News. Uh, the Bulls are a 17.5-point favorite, and I think we're both going to pick them as the winner for this game. So my real question for you is, they haven't hit, or excuse me, they haven't covered yet. Is this finally the game that they blow a team out? 
I'm not going to answer that question just because I have no idea what first-half team for USF is going to show up. Um, I mean, all jokes aside, I think I think they will cover. Uh, UConn is struggling. Uh, they have surprised teams in the past before. Uh, Houston a couple years ago, they, they upset the Cougars, so I think that there's always an opportunity to silence any doubts they may have, but I don't think this early in the season is when it's going to happen. If USF lets them hang around, I'm not going to be happy about that, but hopefully the Bulls can come out strong and just blow them out right off the bat. Yeah, like I just said, I think this is finally that game where now that it is conference action, they're just going to you know, hit the ground running and really ram it down their throat. So this is a game that I really can see the Bulls Finally, in scoring in that 50 to, you know, even maybe even 60 range, that wouldn't surprise me either with how, you know, how poor um, UConn is this season. But then there's the last matchup between AAC teams, and that is two triple option teams going against each other, and it will be Tulane going against Navy. That game's at 3.30 on CBS Sports Network, and as of right now, the midshipmen are a 14-point favorite. We liked what we saw from Banks. We liked what we saw from Abby. Uh, like we kind of said before we got started here, the one cool thing about this game is you don't often get to see two triple option teams go against each other. So it'll be really interesting to see how these defenses, you know, I mean, they used to go against these teams, their own offenses and practice. So I'm kind of curious to see how they can defend them as well. Yeah, I think the learning curve for both teams is defensively is – going to be less than a team that doesn't see that more often. And I think that just makes for a better game overall. I think maybe a little bit ahead of, well, I should say they are ahead of where Tulane is right now. Tulane is kind of building up their program, whereas Navy is established and ready to go. They're just trying to find some pieces to to their puzzle. Um Banks obviously made a huge difference in the first game, and I'm curious to see what he can do against the defense that's going to be arguably one of the best in the conference. Yeah, I can't argue that. Um, they they do have a talented defense there, so it will be interesting to see what Navy does against them. The best now out-of-conference game is definitely going to be Houston finally getting into action taking the field after all those horrific events down there. Going to play at Arizona, going into the season. You know, we thought this was a game that it could definitely take. Do you still feel that way coming off of everything that has happened? or You know, do they use what has happened as momentum to go into Arizona and really kind of like a uh, good fairy tale story, if you want to call it that? Or is it a game where they just come out flat just because of everything that's happened to them? What's interesting, the storyline has changed for this team. It started out as they're trying to prove that Tom Herman wasn't the reason that they had their success, and they're trying to prove that their program is established and and all they really need is just to plug in a coach and they'll get the talent there. And the talent's still coming, but I think now the storyline is becoming more how does this team respond to the tragedy that happened to their city? Yes, it's a road game, and it's going to be at night. So that's one thing that I'm concerned about. 
it's also their first game, whereas Arizona has a game under their belt. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, but like I said, the storyline's so different now, and it's more of an emotional and close-to-the-heart story for, for Houston. So that'll be interesting. Two guys that they're going to have to be careful of are uh, quarterback Brendan Dawkins and their, their running back Nick Wilson. Uh, Dawkins is a dual threat who uh, can beat you with beat you with his legs mostly, but he, he does have the ability to throw as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if does Houston come out flat or are they, like you said, are they emotionally fired up because they're playing for their city and they're playing for something that means more than just the game. Now that game can be seen at 10.30 on Saturday on ESPNU, and Houston, as of right now, is actually a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I could see that changing as we get closer to the game. I'd probably see that as a pick That wouldn't surprise me. But before we actually dive into something else, you brought up Tom Herman. Tell me what you thought about his first game with Texas. I know we were only supposed to talk G5 football, but let's talk a little bit about his uh, first game out of the Houston there was actually that funny comment that somebody shared in our in our group message where um, Houston purposely sent him on his way to destroy Texas, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was funny too. If you, if you ask anybody in Houston, uh, with how the situation with Tom Herman, we're not going to dive into that, but I think it left a bitter taste in her mouth. So any any defeats that he sustains while at Texas are going to be well-received in the Houston area. Um now, you can't deny what he did for, for the Cougars program. Uh, he brought them to heights that I don't think anybody anticipated. And the thing is with that is he's trying to rebuild a culture in Austin that's it seems to be a losing culture right now and you don't like you don't just you don't just turn around that type of mentality in, in one game and granted losing to Maryland is kind of a stinger, but you just don't fix that in one day. But I definitely know that the people in Houston were smiling a little bit brighter because of the result on Saturday. I feel like I've said this previously on the earlier episodes, but I actually live in the Baltimore area, so I did actually get to catch a little bit of that turf game. And I was surprised to see a lot of that just on both sides. I thought Texas would be better, and I thought the turf would be a lot worse. But let's get back into uh, the AAC talk now. Next game on the docket that's probably of most importance will be SMU at home against North Texas. The Mustangs are a 13-point favorite. That game's at 7 p.m. on ESPN3. It'll be a great matchup in the sense that it is two teams from Texas against each other. They're both G5 programs, obviously. But... Do you really feel that SMU is two touchdowns better than North Texas? I, I I actually do. I think that their offense is is very difficult to stop. And granted, North Texas is a lot better than people anticipated. So I do think it's going to be a good game, at least for staff. Um, and I hope it ends up being a shootout because that that's definitely what what. G5 teams need is more entertaining games to draw a bigger audience to to their games and more excitement you can provide and I think that's just better for for these smaller schools 
I mean, North Texas is is capable of keeping up with SMU, but I think with Ken Morris running the show, I just I don't see how they can keep up. And next it is the Raging Cajuns going to take on Tulsa. That game is at 4 p.m. on ESPN3. I think we could both agree this is a game that we feel Tulsa should take. Um, tell me what you think of this one heading into it because the this is another team that's favored by by 14 points, and we really don't know what to expect from them since we didn't really get. I mean, we saw a decent showing in last week, but can they lay the wood on the Cajuns? Yeah, we were talking about this off the air before we started, but we were just saying how disappointing it was for G5 teams against not against each other, but just against Power 5 and FCS competition, and the Raging Cajuns were no exception. Uh, I believe they played, like, Southeast Louisiana, and they only won by seven, and it was a close game the, the entire game, which was disappointing, but that just makes me feel that, that the 14-point spread will be covered by Tulsa. Um, obviously, the first game against Oklahoma State was tough. No one really expected them to come out with a win, but now they can kind of move on from that and they can get refocused towards the rest of their rest of their season and get get a win. Got to get started somewhere. So this is a game where Tulsa should finally get the, into the win column. The final three games, I feel like, are three games that, I mean, should be outcomes or should be pretty well determined. I don't even know if you really have to get on the field, but they have to play the game. Um, that is Temple will host Villanova, a FCS school. That game's at 3.30 on ESPN3. It is the Mayor's Cup. Temple should walk away with a pretty easy win in that one. And then you've got two ranked teams going against two of the are going to be nowhere near the talent-wise as, they, as their opponents, one of them being ECU going on the road to place West Virginia. That game's at noon on Fox Sports 2. And then you got Cincinnati traveling to Michigan at noon on ABC. Both are heavy underdogs. Do you, can you, oh, I'm not even going to ask that question because I don't think there's any chance of them. Can you see them at least putting up a fight, I feel like, is the better question. Well, I'll start with that first game, Temple Villanova. I think Villanova is better than people would be credit for. Uh, they did make the FCS playoffs last year, so I think that it might be a game for the first half. But, I mean, like you said, I think Temple comes away with the win. But I do think they might give the Owls a scare. Uh, like you said, there's just the next two games, there's, there's, just, there's just no way that ECU or Cincinnati – comes out with with a win. I'm more concerned about ECU. I think Cincinnati's fine. They're gonna they're gonna lose by a lot, but at least they are seem a little bit competent. And yeah, Michigan's gonna run away with that one, but at least they might start out a little bit better than ECU will. When you lose to an FCS team, and then your next your next team you play is a top 30 team I think you're just in for for a long day and 
I guess if you're a fantasy player for college football and you have Will Greer, you're probably feeling pretty good about this week. Yeah, and we know coming off the game on the on the other night that he's going to be out looking for a better game after the against Virginia Tech. The Jim Harbaugh's are really going to lay the wood on Cincinnati. I feel like I feel like that's a game that's going to really get out of hand real quick. Cincinnati will have a better showing just because they have more talent, but just the score is I don't feel like is going to indicate how how close that game is going to be because we know the Harbaugh loves to run up the score as well. So I feel like this is one game for Luke Fickle is going to be dealing with some questions afterwards. But as a whole, I feel like we've gone through this list. We've said on the previous episode that we kind of want to go have like a running competition between us, but sounds like as of so far, we're on the same, we're on the same size for all these games. Unless you have an upset in your mind that I don't know about. No, yeah, I, I mean, I think that the games that we could disagree on at least this week would be Memphis UCF, uh, Houston Arizona, and then maybe, maybe North Texas SMU. Um, I think that first game, we'll we'll see how that goes, but that'd be probably the only game for sure that we might disagree on. Yeah, I think that's, uh, and we will release our choosing of that in the the next couple days. I think that's going to be one game between us. I think we're pretty unanimous on the Bulls, Midshipmen. Obviously, we talked about the two ranked teams going through. You brought up the North Texas game, which kind of surprised me, because I I feel like the Mustangs would take that pretty, pretty handily. And then Houston... You know, we we talked about it. I think that that story is there. They'll be emotional and they will get a win for the the city, and it'll be something you know, obviously that the media will be talking about for a very long time. The, I mean, the North Texas game. The only reason why I bring it up is it's you never see those games coming, and the Mean Green are a team that believe they have what it takes to have a successful run and eat. I mean maybe win eight-plus games, so that's the only reason why I say that. I don't think that they're going to win. I'm probably most likely going to pick you, but that'd be that's just the third game to throw in there. But, the, yeah, the Houston and Memphis games are going to be the two that are close to toss-ups. All right, and then I guess that's all we really got for this week. Um, it was good to finally talk actual games and preview what's ahead. Um, make sure you are following the two of us on Facebook. I'm at Joe Serp, and Joey is at Joey Brovac. Also, make sure you're following Underdog Dynasty on all those social media sites, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever we got these days. Leave us reviews on iTunes and whatever else you're listening to us on. And until next time, go to the American Athletic Conference, and we... Hope that Cincinnati and ECU have solid showings this week. Amen. I'm so, I'm so worried for ECU. God. <laughs>